Morning. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know we've been in a series called Life Hacks, where we are seeking to discern some wisdom, some of God's direction to simplify our own lives in such a way. So we've been in the book of Proverbs. And so in light of the week's events and in a way, in an effort to do things a little bit differently, uh, we've opted to have an interview, a dialogue uh, between Ray and myself um, in, in this area, in this arena of wisdom, but still staying true to the book of Proverbs. Now, this has been a very tough week. Um, in actuality, it's um, been a tough year. And it's a series of difficult weeks where we are faced with turning on the television or opening up a magazine or opening up the newspaper and being faced with the darker side, the harsher realities of what it means to live in this country. And I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but for me, I've struggled to hold on to the hope that I believe in. I have felt angry, I have felt sadness, I have felt resentment, and I have felt my hope slipping away. And so as we dive into a series of questions, I guess my first one to you is, what do I do with that? Hmm. How, do I, how do I keep my hope in the midst of all that we have seen this week? Well, obviously, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't plan this topic I mean, we wanted to talk about some, some things that related to Proverbs and wisdom, but um, unfortunately, the, uh, the events of the week uh, ha- has pushed the issue of racism and, and, and violence uh, to the forefront, I think, of all of our minds, hopefully. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's just really been really sad to me to see what's happening in our, in our nation, and um, asking the same question, what, what can I do? What can we do as the church? And uh, I, obviously it's, it's complicated. Um, there is a, there's a couple things that, that come to mind initially. There's a proverb that says, Proverbs 10 says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. And um, you know, oftentimes when we look at these kind of events, we say, well, wh- how, what difference can I make? Right, what, I'm just me, what can I do? Right. And I've been thinking about that the last few days, and I think there are, there are a couple things that I think I can do at least um, in my own life. And one of those things is to take a hard look, an honest look at myself. Mm-hmm. And, 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 before, and before God, um, identify and admit to to biases and prejudices that are in my own life, in my own mind, in my own history, yeah. and, um, and ask for God's forgiveness for those things. And then, and, and then take a look at the, the wisdom of this Proverbs that says, says that hatred, hatred breeds conflict, and, and yet love covers a, all, all wrong. And so, what can I do to love my neighbor, no matter what, where they're from, the color of their skin, whether we differ on certain opinions or ideas, what can I do in my own life to love people in a tangible way? 
I mean, I think that's the best, those two things are the, maybe the first steps that we can take. Yeah, I, I think as I've studied and read and asked for input from other people um, throughout this week, I, I think for me it does. It comes down to this notion of love, right? That that, that should be where we lead. That should be where the church as as people, as followers of Christ, that's where we should start. It should always start in love. But this is an active kind of love, right? It's not mm-hmm. a passive love. It's a, it's a love that um, actively listens to the stories of people who have lived a different life than we have lived, who have had different experiences. It's, it's a listening without the necessary yes, but, or the, the need to comment, the need to make my opinion known. It's just an opportunity to listen and to learn. Because while you and I didn't grow up in a, you know, in a place of affluence, we didn't also have the same experiences that some of our brothers and sisters of color have grown up in. And so I think it's important that we listen. I think the other aspect that I've really um, uh, come to to understand in this is that we need to empathize. This is kind of what you were saying, that we, we have to put ourselves in the problem that we are not just bystanders to what's happening, but we have an active role. Hmm. There's some responsibility. And I think we have to ask ourselves, what role have I played? What role have, has historically have I played? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, look, the reality is I, I don't know what it's like to be an African-American in this yeah. country. I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant in this country. That's, I don't know that, yeah. right? And so, and many of us in this room don't know what that's like. And to dismiss experiences of prejudice as, as not real is, is not only hurtful, but uh, it's not helpful. Yeah. There is a proverb uh, that warn, God warns his people to be involved in, in, in bringing justice to our word, world. Proverbs 24, uh, I think we have it back there. Uh, it says this. Uh, it says, we have it, rescue those being led to, uh, I got it written down here. here there it go. is, I knew we had it. Rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. In other words, help those who are oppressed and hurting and marginalized. And then God says to his people, if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive that? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? And uh, I was thinking through that proverb this week and I realized uh, I don't have all the answers, but, but I know that um, we need to stand up for justice and, um, and speak out for yeah. what is right and good. Yeah, and, and taking it back to what TJ so beautifully said just a moment ago, our, our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in political leaders. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And while it may feel at times to me as if my hope is slipping away. The reality of it is I can identify and empathize and love through the hardships of others, but my hope comes from Jesus Christ in spite of a solution. Yes, and one of the things that we've heard me, me say, I, I think, a lot, um, and, but it's, it's, it's reality that over the last 100 years or so, uh, 120 years or so, philosophers, sociologists, uh, sort of the academic elite, uh, have all said, "Look, if we can just, if we can just get better education, 
if we can get uh, more comprehensive policies, uh, better laws, pour m- more money into all of it, we can solve the world's problems. We can solve racism, we can solve violence, we can solve crime, uh, we can solve poverty. For over 100 years or more, the, the academics have been saying that, that that can happen, but it hasn't worked. Right. Uh, because the answer to the world's problem isn't a policy. It's not even protests. It's a person. It's Jesus. Uh, that's where our hope lies. Uh, that's where the hope of the world lies. And we as the church, we have the answer. Um, but will we stand up, not only to speak out against injustice, but speak up for Jesus? So That's good. Well, I think it'd be appropriate if we paused here. Yeah. We prayed for um, our nation. I pray for um, peace. Uh, and I, I also just want to let you know that on Tuesday night here, uh, we're going to have uh, an opportunity to gather and to pray. It's uh, something that we just decided to do on Friday as a direct result of um, the events of this week. And, and so we don't know how many of you would want to come, but we're inviting you all just to come and be a part here for an hour or so uh, for us to pray and lament and to worship together around this, um, this issue. So, so come back if you want and, and join us on Tuesday. But let me pray for yeah. us. Father, we pause this morning and we give you um, thanks uh, because we can rely upon uh, your son, Jesus Christ, for our hope. And God, I know that even this morning there are men and women all across this country who are struggling under the weight of oppression, struggling under the weight of racism, struggling under the weight of violence in their communities. And God, as these things now are intersecting all walks of life, we ask, God, that you would give us the courage and the strength and the sensitivity to respond in ways that do good that we would love our brothers and sisters of all races, of all colors of skin, that we would love them as you loved us, as you loved the church. Will you forgive us for the areas in which we have failed you in communicating that love to the world? Would you forgive us for our biases? Would you forgive us for the unintentional things that we have said and done throughout the years, the message that we have communicated, would you forgive us for those things? And would you remind us each and every day of your love for us that we would be so filled that every day we would walk, we would just exude, that our, your love for us would overflow out of us and would make a difference in the world around us. I pray for those churches this morning who are wrestling with this very topic, who are trying their hardest to communicate the word of God and the love of your son. Would you give them courage and strength this morning? It is in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. How you doing? Good. I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. So I don't know how much of you, how much you know of Ray, but Ray is a fairly manuscripted communicator. He likes to write things down. So he doesn't know what we're about to do um, in terms of questions. Some of the questions are things we've heard from you. Some are questions that we've um, received from you in different opportunities, but haven't had the time for whatever reason to address. But he doesn't know 
really where I'm going to go. In fact, I've got a series of first service questions and second service questions and third service questions just to keep him on his toes. But, but to kind of ease you into this thing, I just want to ask you a few questions on a personal level. Yeah. All right. So you have recently been seen at Wrigley Field. I'm wondering if something has changed for you. No. No. no I'm still a Sox fan. That's unfortunate. I, I was kidnapped by the staff and uh, drug into the field kicking and screaming. Yeah. So. So you're still a Sox fan. I'm still a Sox. I'm either down deep inside a Yankees fan, but you know, when in when in Rome, I wouldn't tell too many yeah. people that. I know that I could get mugged for yeah. that. All right, so just rapid fire, just a few favorites, okay? Just to kind of get the juices flowing. Okay, right? yeah. Do you have a favorite book? Um, you can't say the Bible. That's can't too say easy. the Bible. That's too easy. Um, uh, yes, um, uh, my favorite book right now. I'll give you it right okay, now. Sure. Is a book by Oz Guinness called Renaissance. I've, I've read through it several times already. So, good Bible verse. Uh, John three thirty says, um, "He must become greater; I must become less." And it's my favorite, not because it's short and easy to memorize. Uh, if I was going for that, it would be Jesus wept, right? That's the easiest. Uh, but, it, you know, I came across it years ago, even when I was in grad school, and I thought this encapsulates how we're supposed to live our lives. That uh, it's all about Jesus, and we, we need to become lesser. And it's, it's, a, it's a comment, a statement of humility. It was spoken by John the Baptist, by the way, who Jesus says was the greatest man ever born. That's a pretty big compliment. Yes. And yet he said, I must become less. Um, do I need to un- uh, explain the definition of rapid fire to you? Or no. We're going to. No. Okay. I think I know what that means. Okay. Uh, Best sermon you've ever given, your favorite sermon you've ever given. Best or favorite? Uh, let's go favorite. Okay, because they're all pretty good. <laughs> they're all pretty good. Right. Saying. <laughs> uh, my favorite. You can, and you can say one of mine, too. Okay, I don't remember that. I, I, oh, I'm not oh. struggling with that one. <laughs> okay. That's not going to be rapid fire. Okay. Okay, uh, my favorite. Uh, well, there's a saying among pastors uh, that you're as good as your last sermon. So I'm going to say last week was my favorite. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. All right. There you go. Do you have a favorite worship song? Uh, <clears throat> right now, I, you know, right now, um, my favorite song is Good, Good Father. Mm. Um, f- for some reason, that touches something in me. Mm. So yeah, That's good. So when you think about um, sermon series and how, we gonna, how, how we're going to communicate what we're going to communicate, um, how do you, what's the process you go through in discerning what we're going to teach? <clears throat> Well, uh, some, some folks may think we have a, a strategic approach to that, but we really, we really don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, um, you know we have a t- our teaching team gets together and we talk through ideas and those kind of things. For me, it's, it's, about, you know, it's, it's about looking at culture and what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our world. What I feel personally uh, I need to think more through or I need to revisit in scripture or what I feel the church needs to hear what we, what we need to deal with and, uh, from scripture and topics. And then we, we kind of brainstorm them together and then we, we, uh, we decide which one to do. So why, why Proverbs? What was kind of the hope of Proverbs? <clears throat> well, Proverbs is my favorite scripture book. Yeah. So uh, just simply because of the, the vast wisdom uh, in it. And uh, when, when we were talking about doing Proverbs, I said, let's do like 20 weeks. You know, and I didn't. I, my vote didn't get counted on that one. So we, we're doing a little bit shorter. But the the wisdom in in, in, in Proverbs is just incredible. The practical day to day wisdom. So the so the hope for us with you know in terms of the listener 
was what? What did you? Well, the, just the, the, the practical wisdom, but yeah. the secondary gain, I think, is for us to be reminded how, how helpful scripture is in our lives. Mm-hmm. It's not just this ancient text that we, we look at and we study as an academic endeavor, but it's something that God has given us to guide our lives and to give us insights on uh, how to respond to different situations, how to live life well in a healthy uh, and safe way that's honoring to him. So I think that's the secondary gain. Okay, good. So uh, let me just, just a couple of simple questions. Um, so who, who are you voting for in the next election? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how about them Cubs? How about, uh, how about them Cubs? Um, so here's the thing. You know, this church has never been, and as long as I'm here, will never be political. We, will, we, we do not endorse any pro- political party, any political policies. We don't come down on sides. Um, because again, like I said, it, the issue isn't policies, the issue is a person in Jesus. That's the answer to the problems of our country, answer the problems of our world. Uh, so when we come here, that's who we're about. Um, but you know, I would say f- it's an interesting political climate we're in right now, and what's ha- gonna happen throughout the summer and as we get to November. Uh, I, I would just say, for me, I'm just grateful I live in a country where I have the right to participate. Uh, and, um, you know, as I, 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 I don't, I can't say that I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know what I'm not going to do. Um, but I would encourage all of us to, to be informed, understand the issues as best we can as citizens, uh, um, understand the dynamics, the possibilities, uh, both good and bad. And, um, and then vote our conscience before God. Um, and then, the, here's, here's the deal, let's throw, let's throw a proverb into this. Uh, Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So ultimately, what happens in November, uh, the sun is gonna come up the next day, and, and God's still gonna be in control uh, of our world. And I, find, I find great hope in that, so uh, yeah, hopefully that can calm any anxieties yeah. that the church has. So you've been in, uh, you've been here uh, almost 22 years uh, here on, at this church. Mm-hmm. You've been in ministry longer than that. Mm-hmm. So how have you seen the strategy of church work or ministry um, change over the years? Yeah, well, it's changed a lot. And I think for me, and we, you know, <clears throat> change, look, change happens in our lives, mm-hmm. right? Change, change, someone said to me recently, uh, Change is good, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know if change is always good. Sometimes it's not so good. But one thing we can say about change is that it's inevitable. I mean, I'm not the same person I was last year. I wasn't, I'm not the same person I was 21 years ago. Hopefully you're not the same person. So change happens. And I, I think in the context of this church, our approach to ministry has, has evolved uh, over those years. Um, in recognition of, of what the early church did to change its culture and its world. Because it's a pretty crazy uh, turn of events when you look at history, mm. how a handful, 120 people in Jerusalem after Jesus was crucified and we th- resurrected, but still 120 left. And they, they not only changed commu- their community in Jerusalem, they, don't, they not only changed their region of the world, they changed the culture of the Roman Empire. And they did it not by just cloistering themselves away in buildings and, and condemning this, condemning that, or, or just teaching truth. They actually went out and they loved people. They loved 
all people, Romans, Jews, you know, uh, all comers, mm. and they went, beyond, they went beyond the call of duty in so many respects. In Roman culture, if a family had a, a baby girl, they often didn't want baby girls. They'd take them outside the city and they'd just throw them out on the, on the side of the road. And it was the Christians who came and, and took those children and raised them and loved them. You know, uh, in the Middle Ages, when the plague hit Europe, who was it that stayed in the cities where the plague was prevalent? It was Christians. That's where the whole idea of hospitals came into play. So historically, the church hasn't been about cloistering itself away in buildings. It's been about getting out into the world and loving people in tangible, way, tangible ways and then bringing the truth of the gospel to bear on that. So when you look out on the sort of the landscape of the global church, the universal church, maybe even just the church in this country, would you say that's our biggest shortcoming, that we sort of focus on cloistering ourselves away in a like-minded environment and we, to the detriment of the hurting and dying around us? I think so. I mean, who am I to speak about global issues, you know? Uh, I'm a Jersey guy who likes to stay put, but um, uh, I, I would say I think the church has fallen short on that, but I do see a shift. I see a shift. Uh, we actually support, we have partners who are in Africa right now, and what they're doing is going outside the cities to local uh, churches in, in uh, outskirts of those cities, uh, encouraging the church to find ways in their community to meet needs of people and to love people in tangible ways, uh, just like we've done here. They were members of the church for years, uh, and uh, they're now doing that in Africa. So I I think there's a shift. Yeah. I think there's a shift here, here in America as well. And so change, right? Yeah. So change is kind of this constant thing. You yes. said that several times. Why is change so hard for people to, within the church even to, to handle? <clears throat> well, I think, you know, um, we live in a culture that's constantly changing. You know, everything's changing all the time. A Christian or not, I think that raises our cultural anxiety and we all long for a place where the, at least the change uh, happens at a slower rate. And I think for us as Christians, we, we kind of view the, the church as a place where we can find security and stability where nothing changes. But that's, that's not realistic. You know, things always change and evolve. And, and, and our refusal to change as a church, uh, I believe, is, it has resulted in 70% of churches in America on decline. So uh, change is hard because we want stability, but change is inevitable. And I think if we embrace it, uh, recognizing there's a, bigger, there's, a bigger, there's a bigger thing at stake, and that's the gospel, then, uh, then maybe we can move past our, that anxiety and em- embrace change. Not easy to do. No. no. I'm not a change guy. You know me. Yeah, yeah, I'm not no. a change person. No. You have things on your desk that have been there since I got here seven yes. years ago. Yes, Literally. I know, they haven't yes. moved. I don't, I, you know. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, you have seen some things change. And even maybe in the last you know, handful of years, stuff has changed yes. even right here. Yes. In this. So I want to ask you a few questions. And these are questions that people have asked me. They're questions right. that I've been asked along the way um, about things that have changed around here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first off, uh, what is up with the smoke? <laughs> okay. It's yeah. called haze. It's haze. People refer to it as smoke, but it's haze. Yes. It's a non, it's hypoallergenic haze. Yes. Right? Right. Okay. <clears throat> so here's the deal. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a left brain kind of guy. You know, for me, um, engaging with God is about, is about rational argument. It's about verbal discourse. 
Uh, it's about truth expressed through language and um, argument in, this, in the sense of um, logical argument. That's kind of where I, I, I lean toward that. I, I trend toward that way. Um, and I think over the years of the church, uh, we've reflected that in how we, how we create a worship environment. We, we tend toward the rational. And yet at the same time, 50% of our people are, are right-brained people. And right, if you're a right-brained person, you know this, right-brained right brain people, it's not that they don't like discourse or, or they're, not, they're not irrational, but they engage God more through beauty and vision, you know, what they see and what they experience and, and, uh, and, and the wonder of that and, and the mystery of that and art and all those things. And, and so, you know, I realized a couple years ago that our right-brained people were missing out a little. And... Um, and so we, we made a strategic decision to, to try to create an environment where right brain and left brain people can, can all experience worship together in a way that, that, that in which they engage, right? And so uh, the way that we've done that, obviously my role hasn't changed. I'm still, I'm still pretty rational and, and present, presenting the gospel and, and teaching. But the other elements such as art, the use of art and staging and e even the idea of lighting and sure, the use of, of, of haze to catch the light in, in, a, in a creative and beautiful way uh, is something that we've we decided to do. And you know, the reality is it's, it's, it's scriptural. You say, how could that possibly be scriptural? Uh, because if you, look at, if you look at the Old Testament, the, the, the temple of Solomon was absolutely ornate. It was beautiful. It was inlaid with gold. Uh, and, and, and inside the temple, there was the, the altar of incense that burned 24-7. In fact, the priests were required to check it in the morning, check it at night. So, so the smoke of incense filled the house of God constantly. Someone said to me several months ago, there should never be smoke in the house of God. And I said, well, you might want to reread the Old Testament because it was in there all the time. It symbolized the prayer of God's people rising to heaven, the worship of God's people rising to heaven before him. And then there was the teaching of scripture, the reading of scripture in the temple. There were musicians singing and leading the people in worship and song. And so it was a multi-sensory experience. Yeah. All the senses were engaged. And, uh, and that's what we're, we're trying to do. We're trying to engage all of our senses. So right brain people, left brain people, people in the middle that we can all engage with God together. So it's, it's, not, it's, not, a, it's not a performance. We're not trying to make the performance any better or be performers on a Sunday morning. No, you know, I, <clears throat> there, there are some people who say, well, it seems like you guys are just into performance now. Two things about that. One, I find that offensive, to be honest with you, because it's, it's judging a motive. I have never seen a motive. Have you ever seen a motive? No one's ever seen a motive, which is exactly why Jesus said, don't judge them. And the last thing that we're interested in is coming up here and put on a theatrical performance for the sake of doing that. Uh, it's not the case. Uh, we are here on the stage creating environments for worship so that we who are on the stage are worshiping God and we're inviting everybody else into that experience with us. And uh, for me, it's been really, it's, uh, the, the, the more artistic elements that we're using has really uh, been a, a kind of an awakening for me in, in terms of my own worship experience. And the thing is, we're not, I said this last week, you know, I'm not here, and this gets lost sometimes, on me because of all the moving parts on Sunday mornings. I kind of miss the wonder and the mystery of God and, 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 the, 
and all the beauty of who God is and what he's done for us, I miss it and I don't wanna miss it. Yeah. And the fact is I'm not here on Sunday morning for you guys primarily. I'm here to worship God mm. uh, with you, but we're all here to worship God. Yeah. And that's, that's our goal, to create an environment that is multi-sensory. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, and another thing that has changed is historically for a long time, this church has celebrated communion on the first Sunday of every month. Yes. And over the last uh, four or five months, we've, we've changed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not on the first Sunday of every month anymore. So are you anti-communion? <laughs> No, no, I'm not anti-communion. Um, we made a strategic decision uh, to um, rethink that tradition, because it's true. We, for years, we do communion on the first Sunday a month, no matter what. That's what we did. But in thinking through our Sunday morning experience, we, we, wanted, to, we wanted to make communion more, tied more into what's happening on that particular morning versus just tagging it on because of a, it's the date, the date on the calendar. And if you, if you look at Jesus, when Jesus instituted communion, he did it uh, over the Passover meal, the Passover Seder. Everything on the table was, was um, uh, symbolic, representing the plan of God's redemption. Right, And Jesus got to the point where they shared matzah. Matzah represented sinlessness. And he broke it. He said, this is my body. And then he took the cup, the third cup of the the Seder meal. There's four cups in the Seder. um, And he took the third cup. It's a ceremony, the ceremonial cups. He takes the third cup of wine, which was still called the cup of redemption. And he took that cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And then he said, as often as you do this, remember me. Now, what is this? I think one could argue that this is the Seder meal. And he was saying, as often as you share the Seder over Passover, remember me. Uh, but the church took the tradition, uh, took, took the, uh, the, that, the breaking of bread and the sharing of wine, and uh, they began to practice it in their homes. They practice it together as, as, a, as, a, as a corporate body of the church. Uh, and, and still today, there are denominations that do it you know, once a month on and the first Sunday. There are others that do it every time they're together. Um, so we, we want to do it when it makes the most sense tied into what's happening in the morning and do it more than just 12 times yeah. a year, right. right? We'll end up doing it more. In yeah, fact, we're, we're going to do it on Tuesday, Tuesday night. During Tuesday the, night, during we're going to do it. Prayer, yeah. So yeah, I'm not anti-communion. All right. Yeah. So that's good to know. Um, so, you know, th- this most recent week of, of violence and, and tragedy has impacted the uh, black community. Um, several weeks ago, we there was tragedy in the um, the LGBT uh, community. Um, there's so much rhetoric in the political cycle and in the news cycle right now ar- around the gay community. I, I'm wondering, um, what, what what sort of hope can Parkview be in those us versus them conversations, right? Um, so what kind of hope do you envision for Parkview in the gay and lesbian community? Well, I know, I know this. When we, just, we just studied the Beatitudes, right? And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed, blessed are the peace lovers. Everybody loves the idea of peace. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And then Paul said to Rome, Christians living in Rome uh, during a term of uh, persecution, he said, as best as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, with everyone. So the question is, how can that 
how can that happen? Right. Um, and how can that happen? Your question, how can that happen between the church and the gay community? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated, obviously. Um, but I, 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 th- I think, again, it has to do with the way that we love people. Yeah. I was asked um, earlier, actually, it was the end of last week, I was asked by some folks outside the church to give my commentary on... Um, on some statements that were made by a rather prominent Christian leader, pastor, um, nationally, nationally known and all that, and they asked me to give, give my opinion on what he said. And so I did, I think they were sorry they asked because I gave him a big, long, <laughs> several page document, but uh, the, the, the essence of that document, um, I said, uh, I agreed that there has to be a way that we can bridge a gap with the gay community. Because love doesn't require agreement on everything. However, love does require respect. It requires listening. It requires uh, caring for people. It requires proximity, being in proximity to others who are different. Um, And and how do we how do we do that? I I think there's got to be a way. so, so long we've pushed certain elements of our culture away from us because they're different, but um, until we can sit down with, with those who we disagree with and on issues and say, no matter, no matter our disagreements, we value as a human being, as a person of God loves, and we, we wanna have relationship with you. We wanna, we wanna be friends, you know? Uh, so so it's kind of the idea of moving beyond the dinner table level conversation and the headlines, sensational headlines, and move into a relationship with people who there's potential for disagreement. Yes. Yeah. And that being, that, that pro- idea of proximity, that being the, the communication of love. Yeah, and we, we saw this played out. When we were in Israel recently, we saw this played out between Israelis and Palestinians yeah. coming together to talk about how we can understand one another and how that understanding can lead to peace. Mm-hmm. And if it can happen between those two groups... Uh, then, then I think the possibility exists that it can happen between the church and other communities, including the gay community. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not an easy topic. No. It's not an easy topic. Um, you have a son, a married, a married daughter and a son. I have two uh, little girls. If, if one of them were to come home at some point along the way and say, Mom, Dad, I'm gay, how would you respond? How would you encourage us to respond to people who come into our lives with that? I mean, it's easy to answer that question in theory because that hasn't happened to me. But I know I have people close to me that it has happened to. And uh, I would hope my response would be, I love you no matter what. Mm. You know, you're my, you're my child. And uh, even though we may disagree on things, um, I love you, and I want to. I, I want us to be in relationship together. Um, I mean, that's easy for me to say because I haven't walked that road, right? But I know there there are there are people that I care deeply about who have have moved into that community, uh, who are you know sons and daughters of of of, of people I care about, you know, and and uh, trying to help help them walk through that, but I I think we have to say, you know, we love you no matter what, and God loves you, and um, yeah, so. Yeah, 
That's so the we, best answer I can give you. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I, I think it. I think it sums up. So as as TJ comes back up to lead us in a, a last song, um, it as a church, you look out on the horizon. There's so much complexity in the world, so much potential for disagreement, and there's this tendency for us to want to pull pull back, circle the wagons, and and cloister ourselves off. As you look ahead. What do you want Parkview to be as it relates to the world? Well, I, you know, I, I think the church, not just our church, but the church in general, has to figure out how to get along together because we talk about loving others when we can't even get along ourselves. So, <laughs> so figuring that out. But, I, you know, putting feet, hands and feet to what we say we believe and this gospel of grace, this, this, this uh, God of love, what does that look like to our world in real ways? Yeah. And if we can, we can um, move in that direction, um, you know, the, there's a proverb, Proverbs 16 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he'll establish your plans. And that is, that's, my, that's my heart, that's the heart of our leaders. Whatever we do here, we're committing it uh, to do for Jesus. Um, and, um, and I believe if we do that with integrity, if we do it with humility, and if we do it with love, we, we will make a difference in people's lives, no matter who they are, where they're from, what their background is, what their story is. I think we can have an impact. That's good. Hey, this is not easy to do. Will you uh, thank Ray for, for his vulnerability, his leadership? Well, let me, um, let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll sing with uh, TJ. Father, I don't, uh, I don't claim to have all the answers to these complex issues. I'm just, I'm just one guy who is struggling to understand our world and its brokenness and, and understanding the, um, the events that unfold around us every day. And so with humility, we all stand before you and we recognize we don't, we don't know everything. But we know this, we know you love us. We know you love our world and everyone in it. And you long to have relationship with each and every one. And so we, uh, we acknowledge that and we submit ourselves to your guidance. And even in this moment, we, we wanna engage both our, our minds and our hearts in saying that we love you and we are grateful for you. And that as our creator, You've extended grace to us in Jesus and we embrace it and we embrace him. And we look forward to a day when we will all be together, people from every nation, every tribe, from all parts of life will be together and we'll sing, uh, we'll sing to his glory. And so uh, we love you this morning. Accept our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding of the Holy One is understanding. And I believe the more we understand who this God is, the more we, we revere him with our lives, uh, the more uh, we're gonna love the world around us. And um, 
and hold true to our values, to what we believe is, is right and good and true and, 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 and good, but, um, but we're gonna love people and, in the way that Jesus loved them. And I, I believe the church can do that, and I want us as a church to do that. I invite you to come back next week. We're gonna go back to, I'm gonna get my manuscript out, we're gonna go back to normal. Um, but we're gonna go back to Proverbs, and Proverbs tells us an interesting thing. It, you know, talk about revering Lord, revering the Lord. Um, Proverbs says there are two situations in life that'll prove whether or not that's true in, in your life. And so we're gonna look at those situations and talk a little bit about them. So come back next Sunday, and I think you'll find it helpful. In the meantime, let me pray for us, and then we're dismissed. And now, Lord, we, uh, we go back out into this world of ours, this beautiful, crazy, chaotic, sometimes violent and confusing world. But as we go today, as I pray that we would go with the knowledge of you, the Holy, the Holy One, the Creator, who's loved us with an everlasting love and through Jesus offers us grace and forgiveness. And as we experience those things ourselves, we're able to express those to others, to love, to extend grace, to be Jesus. May that be true of your church this week and in so doing, point people to you. Now may your hand of grace and peace and strength rest on your church today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here, we'll see you next week.